Hey guys, it's Nathan and this is episode 50 of The Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Unsettled. Unsettled is a 30-day co-working retreat experience for entrepreneurs, creatives, freelancers, and folks going through intentional transitions. They lead retreats in some of the most inspiring destinations in the world, Cape Town, Barcelona, Bali, just to name a few. I did uh, Medellin in Colombia with them last year, and it was everything I could have imagined. Beautiful apartment, great co-working space, incredible community, and you get to be a part of their global community that they've created, and lots of incredible local connections and experiences. Go to beunsettled.co slash Nathan, and they're gonna give you $100 off, so do yourself a favor beunsettled.co slash Nathan and prepare for one of the best months of your life. Well, welcome to the show, guys. Great to have you here for episode number 50. I'm so excited. I can't believe that we've done 50 episodes together. And first of all, let me just say thank you to all of you that tune in every week. I know there's a whole bunch of you that never miss an episode. And the reality is there is no show without listeners. So without you, this thing wouldn't have got to 50 episodes and been such a success. So Thank you so much for your continued support, for giving me feedback, for sharing this around the internet, for telling your friends about it, and for just tuning in and listening and being a great part of our community every week. So for the 50th episode, I wanted to do something a little bit different, and I wasn't really sure what to do, but I thought, well, we've gone through a little bit of a transition in the show. You might have noticed over the last few weeks where I'm trying to make the show more about creating an extraordinary life. So who can we bring on? What can I share with you? What books can I tell you about? What ideas can I share with you that will help you create and live your own version of an extraordinary life? And I thought, well, why don't I just do an episode where I just share all of my best secrets and insight that I've learned on living an extraordinary life. When I started the show and when you guys started listening, I was still working full-time as a pilot. And now I get to do this full time, which I'm grateful for. There's a sponsor on the show now, Unsettled, which I'm also grateful for. And I've learned a lot about how to live life in an extraordinary way. And I'm used to interviewing guests and having people on here and sharing their opinion. And I don't often get to just sit down and talk one-on-one with you on some of the things I've learned. So this show is going to be all of the insights that I've learned throughout my life on creating an extraordinary life. So here's what I'm going to assume as I record this episode. One, that you are a little bit different to most people. So if you're listening to the show, I'm going to assume that you want something a little bit more out of life than the average person or else, you know, of all the thousands of things you could be doing with this time right now, you're choosing to listen to me talk about creating an extraordinary life. So I know that you're like me, you're a little bit weird, you're a little bit different and you want to do things a little bit more, well, a little bit differently than the average person. And I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be extraordinary to live an extraordinary life. I guarantee, and I've met a lot of extraordinary people over the years, and most of them wouldn't actually consider themselves extraordinary. So if you don't feel extraordinary, don't let that stop you. This is a show to help ordinary people become extraordinary or to live extraordinary lives. And I really want to get that message across to you that you can live an extraordinary life. And it doesn't mean that you have to be rich and wealthy and change the world in all these different ways. It's just about looking at life differently, whether it's your relationship, whether it's traveling, whether it's a mission or a business or impacting your community, you can do those things in an extraordinary way. So I'm here to inspire you. I'm here to tell you stories. And just what I want you to understand is that no matter where you are in your life right now, 
it can be different. You can live life in a more extraordinary way, and I'm going to help you do that in the next hour. So the first thing we need to do is really define this word extraordinary. I've used it a lot now. If you follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash nathan.seward, you'll see that I talk a lot about living an extraordinary life. And what is extraordinary? Well, if we look at the definition, it just means anything that's beyond ordinary. And so if we look at uh, people and society at the moment, what is considered ordinary? Well, ordinary is, you know, doing the same job that you chose to do when you were 16 years old and maybe went to university or a technical institute to train for, and you're still doing that job now. You don't necessarily love it and you don't hate it. It's fine. And it brings you in a reasonable wage and nothing much is on the horizon. So that would be an ordinary job. What about an ordinary relationship? So we know the statistics that 50% of all marriages end in divorce. So it's pretty desperate. And as the comedian Chris Rock likes to say, that's just the people that manage to get out. There's a bunch of people that are miserable in their marriages that can't even bring themselves to divorce. So 50% is just the people that actually get to the divorce part. So we know that in relationships and our loving connections in our life, that ordinary is probably less than desirable, shall we say. Let's look at adventure and excitement. What's ordinary about adventure and excitement? Well, most people just travel when they can. They'll save up a little bit and go on a local holiday or maybe travel once or twice per year. And excitement, I would say ordinary, most people are not that excited. So they're just ticking the boxes day in and day out. They have a few beers or smoke weed or do some uh, recreational drugs on the weekend to kind of numb themselves out and find a little bit of fun in an otherwise not so enjoyable existence. So I would say that's ordinary. So we don't really have much of a bar to get over in order to live an extraordinary life. We, instead of just doing a job that is okay and it's fine and pays the bills, we can start creating a business that's created underneath a mission that is something bigger that speaks to our genius, that allows us to be creative, that allows us to impact and influence the people around us and do something that's more than just paying the bills. I touched on mission. So most people don't have any idea of their purpose. They're not self-aware. They're not aware of who they are and why they were put on this earth. So to be extraordinary is to have a purpose and a mission and be clear on that. Even if it's, you know, you're not a hundred percent clear, it's going on that journey to find your purpose and your mission and finding a mission that brings you to tears, that moves you, that impacts you, that, you know, if that mission could be achieved would make a huge dent in the world. When it comes to love and connection, Well, the first thing that strikes me there is to be extraordinary, we have to fall deeply in love with ourselves. Now, that's a cliche and you can just glance over that. But at the end of the day, that's where it all starts. Not a lot of us are committed to doing what we need to do to actually fall deeply in love with ourselves. And in terms of relationships, how can we take our connection to the next level? You've heard a lot of men on the show for the last year and a half, and most of them have a relationship with their father that's not ideal. And we could probably extrapolate that out and say that most people's relationship with their parents is either fine or strained. There's only a few people that absolutely love spending time with their parents and are really filled up by that. So to be extraordinary in love and connection, we have to find a way to connect deeper, to love ourselves and commit to creating extraordinary relationships. In terms of creating more adventure and excitement in your life, what do we need to be extraordinary in those areas? 
Well, we need to live a life that we don't need to take a vacation from. So what does that mean? How do we incorporate exciting, unpredictable adventures all through our day-to-day life? How can we bring the focus into bringing more excitement into each moment or more spontaneity into our relationships? How do we focus on creating excitement and adventure? And finally, the thing that wraps all of this stuff together is that deep sense of inner peace. So again, ordinary is to not do any work on yourself and not actually feel that peaceful, to feel discontent, to have a certain level of underlying anger and frustration, to be frustrated by those of people around us, to be ashamed and embarrassed about certain parts of ourselves and the way we've behaved in the past. So to be extraordinary is to actually cultivate a deep sense of inner peace, to connect with something bigger than ourselves, be that the universe or be that Tao or be that God, if you use that word, so that we can actually start finding peace within ourselves. We're not constantly running from something or striving to be enough or be worthy or prove something to other people. So to live an extraordinary life on top of all those other things is to cultivate a deep sense of inner peace. So let me tell you a little bit about my story for those of you that don't know it. I grew up in New Zealand, as you can tell by my weird accent. And it was a very ordinary sort of middle-class upbringing, uh, lots of hot summer days. Went to co-ed boys and girls primary school and just absolutely loved it. I loved my childhood, lots of close friends, lots of biking around, just really, you know, long summer evenings is what I remember. And then when I went to high school, I went to a a private all-boys school, the one that my grandfather had attended. And things started to change. There was obviously a lot of opportunities at that school, but it was also very segregated. And, you know, I remember at 14, I had a a falling out with some of my friends. And so I felt this intense loneliness while I was there. And at around the same time, around 13 or 14, I started to discover that my sexuality was different and that I was probably gay, which in those days in an all-boys school is the last thing you wanted to be. All the insults were about being a faggot or a homo. And so all of that stuff sort of led me to become quite a sort of insular, frightened uh, kid, I guess you would say. And because I'd sort of fallen out with my friends, I knew I never wanted to go through that again. I didn't want to feel that loneliness again. So I learned to kind of become friends with everybody, to listen to them, to help them with their problems, to be funny. And so outwardly, I was this very friendly, affable guy. But inside, I felt very lonely and very scared as I tried to hide my sexuality. But I was interested in a lot of other things at school. So I was involved in the newspaper. I was on the radio station. I managed to convince the school to let me go and do flying lessons on the weekend. And so that was my big passion was, what can I do? What are the fun things that I can do at school that will help me pass the time before I can eventually leave and go and become a pilot? Which I did. So once I was 17, I left school and went to flying school and just poured my heart and soul into flying. And again, I was, I loved flying and I was pretty good at it. But in terms of the theory and that kind of thing, I was as ordinary as they come. I failed a bunch of the exams and I really had to work hard to pass all of those exams. And it was a tough road. At one point, a couple of years in, I, you know, was in Top Gun, they say um, your ego is writing checks that your body can't cash. And I was doing some silly things in aeroplanes because I'd kind of found my groove in life. I'd gone from being alone at school to now finding this career and and job that I loved and I was kind of good at. So my ego got too big. I did some silly things in aeroplanes and I ended up getting suspended for two months. 
And I was so embarrassed. I went as far away as I possibly could. I flew to Montreal where my uh, uncle was living. And he said, well, I have no interest in helping you. We're busy. We're working. But I'll buy you a one-way ticket to St. John's, Newfoundland. And you can spend your time hitchhiking and finding your way back. So I ended up in Newfoundland, which is a, an island off Canada, hitchhiking my way back there and really thinking about you know, what had happened and the consequences of doing what I'd done. And I guess that was the time, the first time I started to have this self-reflection and started to figure out who I wanted to be. I also was figuring out that in order to live a, an authentic life and a successful life that I couldn't keep hiding my sexuality. So at 22, I came out of the closet, but I was still a long way from, you know, ever finding love or connecting or being comfortable being in a relationship with a man. I went to my first airline interview in the same year when I was 22 and I got kicked out of the interview because I'd failed high school. You need to have passed high school in order to get into the airline. So I lied on my, well, I bent the truth on my application and said that I'd completed, you know, five years of high school, sort of implying that I'd passed. And when they asked to see my school results in the interview, I, I said that I didn't have them and they kicked me out of the interview. It was a pretty tough time. You know, that's, that was my dream for a long time to fly in the airlines and to be kicked out of your first interview was a hard pill to swallow. Fortunately for me, I built up a good enough reputation at my last employer that, and he had a good reputation with the boss at the airline and he convinced them to give me a shot. And they said, well, if you can show us any school results, you know, that'll be enough and we'll give you a shot. I got into the airline and that was the last, you know, last time I ever got asked about school results. I poured my heart into airline flying. I got into a two-year uh, management sort of uh, course with the airline I was with and never looked back. But my point is it's, you know, my journey hasn't been easy. I'm not the smartest person in the world. I'm not, uh, love has been tough for me and connecting with people has been tough for me. And I've had a lot of internal struggles as well. But over the years, one thing I always knew, even when I was going through my toughest times, is that I was here for a reason. I was here for a reason. I didn't know what that reason was, but I knew that I was on the earth to do something bigger than, you know, just going through the motions of, of life. So that always stuck with me. So as I started reading self-help books, you know, which I started in my teenage years to try and help me understand my sexuality and what I was going through, I went on this self-help personal development journey and I've really never stopped. And so the point I want to get across to you is that I'm a super ordinary person, but I've learned to live life in an extraordinary way by being self-aware, reading a lot of books talking to a lot of mentors, watching documentaries, going on courses, being coached deeply. And that's allowed me to live an extraordinary life. So wherever you're at now, you can create an extraordinary life from that place. Take a three-year view from now and you'll be amazed at what you can create. Tony Robbins says, we overestimate what we can do in a year, but we underestimate what we can do in three. And I couldn't agree more. If you commit now to living an extraordinary life, no matter what it takes in all those areas I just mentioned, then in three years' time, you'll be astounded at what you can achieve. And I don't care if you're 18 listening to this, 30, or you've just retired, you're 65. Age doesn't matter. Being ordinary doesn't matter. This is a show about living an extraordinary life, no matter where you've come from, what age you're at, or what circumstances you find yourself in. Okay, so let's have some fun. We're going to talk about the foundations first. And each uh, chapter here, I'm going to give you a quote, some resources, and a question to ponder while we go through the, the different sections. So setting positive foundations, the quote I want to give you is, whether you think you can or you think you can't, either way, you're right. And the quote speaks to mindsets, which is a powerful part of getting the right foundation, shifting your mindsets and finding more empowering mindsets. So not finding better, 
mindsets or not finding the right mindset, but finding mindsets that bring power to what we're trying to achieve. The resources I want to recommend, one, the book The Big Leap by Dr. Gay Hendricks, and two, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. The Big Leap helps you find your zone of genius and what you do better than anyone else in the world and also helps you get through a thing called the upper limit problem. As we start to lead an extraordinary life, something weird happens. We exceed the limit of happiness that we've allowed ourselves to experience up until that point. And what happens when we go and get more than we're used to? We have to sabotage ourselves in different areas to bring us back down below that level. The Big Leap helps you work through that upper limit problem, which is essential if you want to live an extraordinary life and actually enjoy it. Uh, the second book is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. The War of Art's for anyone that's uh, creating anything. So, you know, we're going to create an extraordinary life and thus we're going to face something Stephen Pressfield calls resistance. And so that book helps you push through the resistance. Vital things for setting the right foundations. The question I want to pose for you as we go through this section is, when was the last time you challenged your beliefs? When was the last time you challenged the things that you take to be true? So hold that as we go through this chapter. Now, you'll remember from the story uh, before that I didn't do very well at school. I, I just did terribly academically. I was distracted by lots of other things going on in my life. And I really just was focused on becoming a pilot. So because I got terrible results at school, I've always had this belief that I'm not very smart, that I'm not intelligent. And I carried that belief into my adult life. And it wasn't until somebody questioned me about that belief and said, well, that's not true. You fly airplanes, you've passed these exams, you know how to write, blah, blah, blah. You do all these things really well. So it's probably not, you're not smart. You just didn't do very well in those exams because you were distracted. You didn't study well, et cetera. And I started to challenge that belief and it completely changed my life. I realized that I am smart. I am intelligent. I just, some things happened when I was in my teenage years that didn't allow me to pass a handful of exams very well. So that's an example of uh, an old belief that I just carry around unquestioned. So as soon as I got rid of that, man, it opened up my whole life. I was now smart. Think of all the things that smart people can do. And it was a big revelation for me. So what I'm going to do is run through all the foundational mindsets and shifts that you're going to need to make in order to live your extraordinary life. I'm going to move pretty fast, so make sure you're listening quickly. <laughs> the first mindset you have to shift is you have to move back into a beginner's mind. So a lot of us, as we get older, we are doing the same things generally over and over and over again on repeat, including our jobs. And so we forget what it's like to learn a new skill. But when we were kids, we were learning all the time. We learned to crawl and then we learned to walk and then we had to learn to write and then we had to learn to read. And what did we do when we sucked at it? Nothing. We just got back up and tried again and got back up and tried again. And so you have to get yourself back into that beginner's mindset that you had when you were a kid. We've forgotten how to fail. We've forgotten how to grow and we've forgotten how to learn. So be okay with sucking again, especially, you know, as we're going to live an extraordinary life, we're going to have to learn new things. You might be diving into business for the first time. You might be upgrading your relationship in a certain way. So it's not going to go perfectly at the start. So get yourself into the beginner's mind and prepare yourself to fail and know that that's okay. Second thing I want to say, the second mindset, you're not who you think you are. Like I said in that first story about you know uh, me thinking I wasn't that smart, that actually wasn't true. And there's probably thousands of those beliefs that I still have that I've just got because of some arbitrary experience that I had in childhood that I'm now carrying around as believing it to be true. But you're actually not who you think you are at all. I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but trust me, it's true. And 
you know, people think I'm not beautiful. I'm not smart. I'm not good at singing. I don't know how to do business. I'm not a morning person. Anytime you hear these I am statements, like they're the truth, you need to question them and you can change them. And the best way to do that is through affirmations. There's an app you can get on your phone called Think Up, the Think Up app, and you can record affirmations in there. I am smart. I am strong. I am powerful. I am disciplined. And it puts nice music on and you can listen to it before you go to bed or you can listen to it when you're out running. Hear these affirmations go over and over in your head. Affirmations are fantastic because they work at the subconscious level. A lot of these beliefs are just playing out day to day in our lives at the subconscious level. We don't actually know that we have them. So anything you want to be, any trait you want to have, it starts with creating the affirmation of I am. Start putting that into place and see the effect it has. Now, the three common negative mindsets I see that people have is one, I'm not worthy. Just generally, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of success. And again, these are at a subconscious level, so it might not be something you say, but if you dig deep down, this is what you'll find. Two, that uh, money is evil. Money is the root of all evil. Money won't buy you happiness. All this shit about money. And the third one is having an anxiety or a fear over something that might happen in the future. Any kind of anxiety, fear of failure, fear of success. So let's look at the first one, the mindset around I'm not worthy. It's just not true. If you're here and you're born and you're on the planet, you are worthy of everything. You're worthy of love. You're worthy of all the success that you could possibly imagine. You're worthy of being healthy and you're worthy of being rich and wealthy in your life. So you have to start believing that you're worthy. And again, I said in the last uh, mindset, create an affirmation, an affirmation around I am worthy and write it down 30 times every morning. Put a reminder that pops up in your phone five times a day, I am worthy. Just have it everywhere just to start reminding yourself that you are worthy of an extraordinary life. Second thing, most people have a weird thing about money. I don't know why, I don't know where it comes from, but most of it is bullshit. There is nothing wrong with money. Money is just money. And I know as many incredible, generous, fun, loving, super wealthy people as I do people that don't have as much money and are jerks. So money has nothing to do with how you are as a person. The way to look at money is one, money's just a uh, exchange for value. So the more value you bring to the world, the more money you're going to make. So if you're earning $60,000 a year in a salary job right now, that's how much value you are worth to the world in that role. If you invent the iPhone, like Steve Jobs did, you're going to be a multi-billionaire because that brought a ton of value to a ton of people all over the world. Simple way to look at it, but that's all money is in exchange for the value you provide into the world. Find a way to provide more value. And secondly, the more money you make, chances are the better that the world will be. Because I know you're a good person, you're committed to growth and living an extraordinary life. So the more money you get, most likely the more you're going to invest back into your business, the more you're going to help your family and your friends, the more you're going to give to charity and be able to fund some of the projects that you're passionate about. So stop thinking that money's the root of all evil. It's absolute bullshit. The more money you earn, my guess is the more the world's going to benefit. So take that attitude and uh, mindset. And the third thing is uh, anxiety or fear about what's going to happen in the future fear of failure. What if I try this and it doesn't work out? What if I do try it and I'm not good enough and I can't keep up with it? Well, my question is one, well, what if? 
So what? There's no such thing as failure. There's just outcomes. You're going to get an outcome. You're going to adjust it. You're going to try something different and carry on. Because remember, you're in the beginner's mindset. So start letting go of any anxiety or fear of what's going to happen in the future. What's going to happen is you're going to deal with it in the moment, just like you've dealt with everything in your life beforehand. And eventually you're going to get through it. Secondly, instead of thinking, what if negative, what if I fail? Start thinking, what if positive? What if I leave my job and work on my business that I've always wanted to work on and it goes 10 times better than I ever expected? I end up hiring a bunch of staff that I love. I make millions of dollars. What if I leave my shitty relationship and three months later, I end up finding the man of my dreams? Think about it. Go through the what if positive. We really do it. We let our mind go to the what if negative all the time, but we really challenge that. Next mindset, get yourself into a mindset of integrity. We think integrity is something about being an honorable person. Oh man, that guy has a lot of integrity. But the real thing is, like in in, uh, aviation, when an airplane breaks apart in the air, for example, they say that it lost structural integrity. The plane was no longer together. And for the plane to have full structural integrity, it has to be all together, whole and complete. So the same thing goes for life. In order for you to be in integrity in your life, you have to do the things that you say you're going to do. You have to be impeccable with your word. So whenever you say, I'm going to be somewhere at this time, whenever you say, hey, I'm going to send this through to you, whenever you say to yourself, I'm going to go for a run today, in order for your life to be whole and complete and all together, just like that airplane, you have to do those things that you say that you're going to do. So this is, I guarantee there's about 1% of the entire population that is in full integrity. And that's great because it's rare air. The more that you can get into integrity, the more that you're going to have tremendous success because so few people actually do what they say they're going to do. So approach life with integrity. Next mindset, I want you to get into uh, creating an incredible morning routine. So your morning routine is, what it acknowledges is that when you wake up in the morning, you could be in any state. You could be tired, you could be grumpy, you could be sad. So we can't rely on the state we wake up in to carry us through the day. The morning routine is about taking 10, 20, 60 minutes in the morning to prime yourself up and get you in the ideal state ready for the day. Some examples of a morning routine, glass of water, journaling, meditation, yoga, going for a run, just those things that are going to set you on the path towards success for the day. So there's plenty of articles out there on morning routine, so check them out, but essential to get that in place if we want to live an extraordinary life. Now, the next mindset. Start now, start small. So a lot of people are out there getting ready to get ready. Now, it's a good idea, this extraordinary life thing. I'm listening to this podcast and yeah, I'll get around to it. You know, just not in the right place right now. Trust me, you'll never be in the right place. The right place is now. Start now, start small. It doesn't have to be leaving your job or starting a $100,000 business or anything like that. You can start now and start small. What's one little thing you can do today to get yourself on the first small step towards living an extraordinary life. Now, as you start moving through these things and you start growing and start getting excited about living an extraordinary life, you're not going to get a lot of agreement from the people around you. And I just want to give you a heads up to this. People know you as what who you've been for the last 20, 30, 40, 60 years. And so when you decide that you're going to change that, 
the people closest to you can often be suspicious. Oh, yeah, whatever, mate. You've you've tried that before. We we know you. You're, that's not you. You're not going to be able to do that. It's just go back to doing what you're doing and relax. And so you have to be careful who you share stuff with and you have to stop caring about what those people think. So there's going to be a transition point where you declare that you want to live this extraordinary life in these different areas. And it's going to take time for the people to come around. They're going to need some proof. It may take a year, it may take two years. It may never happen. So stop looking for agreement with what you're doing from the people closest to you. Just be laser focused on what you're trying to achieve and go at it. The antidote to that is to find an incredible community to support you. So find a bunch of people that are also committed to living a great life, that are doing what you're doing in business or in relationships and uh, adventuring. And you'll be amazed. This is one of those secret catalysts to living an extraordinary life. Surround yourself by incredible people and watch how your growth starts going up exponentially as they fuel your exponential growth. So we run a great community. So in my business, we have a thing called the Extraordinary Life Community. We have an online Facebook group. We meet online once a month. And then throughout the year, we have opportunities to meet each other all around the world. I travel the world full time throughout the year. And so I create these little weeks of adventuring different countries where people can come and meet me and just do really fun stuff, go through some personal growth and just interact with really cool people that are on the same path. If you're interested in that, go to my website, nathanseward.com and on the homepage there, you can fill in your name and email address and you'll be automatically taken into my community, given access to the Facebook group and you'll be welcomed with open arms. So Finding a great community is definitely the secret source to catalyzing your extraordinary life. Okay, let's move on to the next section, and it's about creating a business and a mission that pulls you forward. The quote is from Everything You Want, book by Derek Sivers, who's a fantastic new entrepreneur. And he said, when you make a business, you get to make a little universe where you control all the laws. This is your utopia. So think about that. Your business is your chance to create this little utopia where you are in charge of everything, how it looks how the people are hired, how you treat your customers, how much you charge. The resources I want to suggest are three books. The first one is a book called Wealth Warrior by Steve Chandler. Wealth Warrior is all about creating wealth, but it's a great book for figuring out the attitude you need to take into your business. It's about serving. And he just reiterates over and over and again that money comes from service. If you want to get wealthy, stop worrying about getting wealthy and start focusing on how can you give back to people? How can you serve people over and over and over again? Fantastic book. The second book is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. And that speaks to the mission part. The Alchemist is a story that Paulo wrote about uh, a young boy who is a shepherd in Spain. And he keeps running into these different people like a mind reader, and then he meets an old king and uh, he comes across all these people, but the story is talking about how to find your personal legend, that every man has a personal legend that he has to follow in the world. And as he's going after his personal legend, he'll get omens that point him in the right direction. And it's a, a beautiful book for understanding that you have a personal legend. There is a mission that you were put on this earth to fulfill. And the quicker you can tap into that, the quicker you can live an extraordinary life. So check out The Alchemist. And the classic four-hour work week, I think I heard, uh, it's by Tim Ferriss, I heard on his podcast the other day that this is the most highlighted book on Amazon. So, you know, on the Kindle, you can highlight phrases. The four-hour work week is the number one most highlighted book on Amazon. So chances are you've already read it. I would suggest rereading it. But 
It's the Bible for a new type of entrepreneur. People like you that are starting a business in, in this time that have the opportunity to create a whole new kind of business. You've got access to worldwide labor through websites like Upwork and having virtual assistants. We have the internet, you have social media, you have technology. It's such an exciting time. And the four-hour work week really sets the stage for how you can build that type of business. The question I want you to carry through this chapter is, if I gave you $1 billion tomorrow, what would you do with your time? So you imagine you wake up tomorrow morning, you got a billion dollars, never have to work again. You can invest money in any cause, any charity, any foundation, any vacation. You can do anything you want. You get to create your own little utopia. What would you do with your time? How would you spend it? And that's the context we're going to carry into this chapter. I remember back to 2008. It's the first time I came across Colin Wright. Colin Wright wrote a blog called My Exile Lifestyle. And Colin had given up his very lucrative branding job in LA and he'd given it up to travel the world. And his goal was to live in each country for four months at a time. And each of his readers on his blog would vote to which country he would go next. So he started off in Argentina and then the readers voted that he would come to New Zealand for his second country, which I saw. I reached out to Colin and said, hey, you need to come to Christchurch, come and live here for four months, which he did. We became really close friends. But it was the first moment I realized that, wow, there is a whole new world available to us through the internet and you know, through all the, the technologies I mentioned. And Colin was the first person I came across that really showed me that you can do what you love, make money from it, travel the world and make an impact. And those things didn't have to be separate. Of course, the model, you know, since the industrial revolution has been work from 18 to 60, 65, save up a bunch of money so you can retire and then not work and just live on that money and hopefully spend a few choice years doing what you love. So Colin's the first guy that I came across that was redefining what it meant to be in business and actually just to be a human. So I want to talk about, you know, why a business and why have a mission. Of course, you don't need a business to live an extraordinary life. I'm not suggesting that. But from my experience, and like I said in that quote, Having a business is your opportunity to create your own little utopia. As long as you're working a job and, you know, sort of doing mission, your, your mission or doing what you love on the side, you're always going to be limited. Whereas when you have a business, that's your chance to create a utopia from scratch to do and make an impact in the world full time. It's all about freedom. You know, like most entrepreneurs go into business initially because they want to have freedom. They want to be in charge of how much money they earn. They want to know that the harder they work, the more money they can earn and that that is unlimited. They want to have control of their time. They want to be able to work when they want to work and go on holiday when they want to go on holiday. And so freedom is at the core of what being an entrepreneur is really about. Unfortunately, a lot of people get into business and then become overwhelmed and the pressure of earning money and running a team is too much and so they end up having less freedom than they started with. But we want to create a business where it gives you the ultimate freedom the freedom to make an impact and do what you love, make the money that you want and have the time off that you want, travel whenever you want. And the thing with a business is it has an unlimited upside. A lot of people say that they would rather have a job because of job security, but nothing could be further from the truth. You know, the old adage says that job stands for just over broke. You're limited because you're only ever going to get the salary that that company will pay you. And if the company goes under, you lose your job and you're gone. You have no say in how that company is run. 
Whereas when you have your own business, you actually are in charge of the destiny of that business. It's up to you to make it work. So there's a lot more security in that. And if that business goes under, you just start another one. And businesses have unlimited upside. So, you know, one of the things that I didn't like about being an airline pilot is I could tell you exactly what I was going to earn for my entire career. So I could tell you on the day I retired exactly how much money I would have earned. Whereas in business, the harder you work, the smarter you work, get some good breaks, you get in the right industry, doing the right thing, the upside potential is absolutely unlimited. So when you're looking to create a business and create a mission, the first thing you have to look at yourself is what is my zone of genius? You remember the book, The Big Leap from the last chapter, he talks about defining your zone of genius. And the zone of genius is that one thing that you do better than anybody else on the planet. And we all have one. We all have that thing that we're naturally good at. You know, sometimes we're so good at it that we can't even see it because we just do it so naturally. It might be that you walk into a room and you can spark up conversation with anyone and everybody feels comfortable around you, but you've been doing it all your life. So you don't even know that that's your zone of genius. It might be writing. It might be the way that you can run meetings. It might be the way that you create in the world, things that you create that nobody else can create. But the idea is to find that zone of genius and spend as much time living in your zone of genius as possible. And the next thing is, as I said with the book Wealth Warrior, you have to take this mindset of serve, serve, serve. All you should be thinking about is how you can serve more, how you can serve the people around you, how you can serve your customers. And even when it comes to growing your network of connections, Everybody will tell you that's a master of networking. The goal is not to ask what you want from the other person, but just to give, 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 serve, serve, serve. Maybe for one, two, three years before you ever ask someone to give you anything. So in your business, that should be your mantra. Serve, serve, serve. And start small. I said in the last chapter, start now, start small. It's the same with business. When you're trialing a business idea, just start small. You don't have to dive straight in. You don't have to leave your job tomorrow. What you want to do is start practicing whatever it is that you want to be doing. If you want to be a coach or a consultant, start offering your coaching services for free to friends and family in exchange for a testimonial. And then eventually charge 10 bucks for a session. Whatever it is, start small, start now and start working towards it. You don't have to make a massive investment to get into business initially. Let's look at the second part, your mission. So in my experience, having a really powerful mission, taking time to think about like, what mission am I going to go on for the rest of my life? allows you to be pulled forward by something every day. If you're not jumping out of bed every morning, excited to hit the day, chances are you don't have a mission that pulls you forward and lights you up. So it's important to take time to focus on what mission do I want to do? What do I want to dedicate my life to? And there's a couple of questions you can ask yourself to define that mission. First of all, look at the state of the world. You could argue that, you know, we're going through a little bit of a uh, tough time in the world. The old ways of doing things, economies are starting to falter. As I say this, we have President Trump in America, you know, kind of wreaking havoc across the United States. So what bothers you about the state of the world? Is it poverty? Is it, for me, it was the... Uh, you know, constantly increasing male suicide rate really troubled me. So I created a mission. I want to end male suicide. And that came out of the thing that bothered me most in the world. 
one of my coaches, Rich Litvin, says that what is the mission that brings you to tears? What is the thing that when you talk about brings you to tears? For a lot of people, it's talking about children and, and issues with children. And a natural thing when you're thinking of your mission is to go, yeah, I mean, sure, it's one thing to say I want to end child poverty in my country, but how am I going to do that? Uh, you know, I don't know how to do that. So I want to remind you, you are way more powerful than you think you are. You are way more powerful than you think you are. And you can actually achieve anything you want when you set your mind to it. I might not end male suicide in my lifetime, but boy, I can put a huge dent into it you know, over the next 30, 40, 50 years if I commit my thinking, my time, my resources, my friends to solving that mission. So remember, you are more powerful than you think. And another way to do it is to go right to the end of your life and look backwards. This is a powerful exercise. In the last five minutes of your life, which we're all going to have, and we don't like to talk about it because we don't talk about death, but i got news for you. We're all going to have our last five minutes of our life. Hopefully it's a long time away in the future, but at some point you're going to have to sit on your deathbed and rationalize and reconcile all the decisions you've made throughout your life. What do you want to be thinking about in that last five minutes? Do you want to be thinking, oh, I wish I had done a little bit more with my life? Or do you want to sit there and think, wow, I gave it everything. I took on the biggest, scariest mission that I possibly could, and I just threw everything at it. I like the latter. I want to be on my deathbed going, fulfilled knowing that I gave it everything I could. So I've uploaded a free framework to my website that allows you to figure out where your zone of genius is, what type of business might suit you, some questions to get you stimulated on what your mission might be. So if you want to get a copy of that framework, go to nathanseward.com on the homepage. You'll see a place to fill in your name and email. Bang that in there and you'll get an email straight away that'll give you a copy of all those frameworks. And this is so important that you focus on, you know, working towards this mission in business. I remember when my coach told me that I didn't actually have freedom. I'd got this amazing flying job where I only worked two weeks a month and I thought I had you know, two weeks off a month. That was all the time in the world. I'd never had time off like it. And I said to my coach, I said, you know, I can't give up this job. This job is the best job in the world. I have so much freedom. And he said, well, you have 50% freedom. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're you know, two weeks out of the month. Another person controls your entire life. And it hit me like a freight train in that moment. I only had 50% freedom, but because it was so much better than I was used to, I thought I had unlimited freedom. And so I knew that I had to start working towards creating a business and a mission that gave me the freedom that I desired. Okay, let's keep moving on to the next section. I hope you're keeping up. The next part is about love and connection. And the quote I want to read for you is from the poet Rumi, who says, our task is not to seek for love. Our task is to break down all the barriers that we've put up against it. And that really speaks to my belief about love and connecting with the people around us is it's not about finding love. It's about realizing that we are love and we've just put up all these barriers and just barricaded our heart in behind all these walls. So our task is really to start breaking those down. The resources I want to offer to you, two books, one Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly, which uh, if you haven't seen it already, Brene gave an incredible TED talk about six years ago on the power of vulnerability. 
And she said that all connection comes from vulnerability. So what I take from that is if we're to master connection and if we get to get closer to the people that we love, we need to master vulnerability and the art of vulnerability. So read Brene's book, Daring Greatly. Specifically, if you're a man, the book, The Way of the Superior Man by David Dieter was a life-changing book for me. It's just a, a manifesto for how to be a powerful man. And, you know, we are hearing a lot of men getting beaten up in the media. We're hearing about the toxic masculine side uh, coming through a lot. Well, in The Way of the Superior Man, David lays out exactly how the masculine feminine balance should look and what a really powerful on mission man should look like. Uh, it's my go-to book anytime that I need to kind of get back into who I am as a man and in relationships. And the question I want to pose for you in this chapter is, where did you learn about relationships and connection and sex? Where did you get your education for those things? And most likely, you didn't. So to have an extraordinary life, to have an extraordinary sense of love and connection in our life, it's going to take something because most of us have never been taught how to do it. We're just bumbling our way through. We kind of use our parents and maybe our brothers or sisters as a bit of a reference point, and we sort of copy what they did, thinking that that was the way to do it. And let me be honest here and say that this is not an area that I'm a master at, but it's an area that I'm seeking to master because it's so important. I believe that you could have a great business, you could have a great mission, you could be changing the world, you could be doing lots of fun things, but if you don't know how to love yourself and others and connect with people, it's going to be quite a lonely life. So that's why I've put this chapter in to say that to have an extraordinary life, you need to master love and connection. It doesn't come naturally to me because, you know, as I said to you at the start, when I found out I was gay, I was an all-boys school, and I quickly had to hide that. I had to hide who I truly was. So I had to close off my heart in order to protect myself. And to be honest, like I said in that Rumi quote, for me, it's been a long process of opening my heart back up again, learning to love, learning to let people in, learning to be vulnerable because I shut myself down so much and I was an island. You know, I wouldn't let anybody in. I was just independent and, and just going on my, my path on my own. And I'm still like that to some extent. So that's my work. But let's look at some of the things that I have learned, at least in principle. And the first thing that you have to understand, and it's a little bit of a cliche, but you have to confront your own sense of self-love. Ask yourself the question, do I love myself? Do I love myself? When I look in the mirror in the morning, do I love who's looking back at me? And it's impossible to expect anybody else to love you until you have a deep sense of self-love. Now, it can be a hard concept to understand, especially for a man. You're listening to this, you're rolling your eyes like, fuck off, you know, love myself. What does that mean? But think about uh, the Warren Buffett gives the example. If you owned a beautiful uh, high-quality racehorse, expensive racehorse, how would you treat that racehorse? Would you feed it McDonald's? Would you uh, leave it outside at night? Would you just buy the cheapest equipment for it? Or would you treat that thing like it was your most prized possession? Would you figure out a way to give it the, the best possible feed? Would you house it in a, a beautiful stable? Would you have people looking after it 24 hours a day? Would you make sure that it was uh, exercising in the right fashion and had the best equipment around it? Well, if you would do that for an animal, how do you treat yourself? And a lot of people eat junk food. They say bad things about themselves. They self-deprecating and put themselves down. They uh, don't get enough sleep. They fill themselves with alcohol and drugs. So a simple way to look at self-love is 
how are you treating yourself? Would you treat an animal the way you treat yourself? So a first way to look at self-love is start giving yourself the things and treating yourself to the things that somebody that loved themselves would do. It's a very, very simple way to look at it. The second way to look at it is, do you have self-compassion? So Connor Beaton, who runs the Man Talks community, introduced me to this, and he said that it's easier to look at self-compassion than self-love. And the best way to look at self-compassion is, if you imagine a little five-year-old boy or five-year-old girl in front of you and they come up to you and they're scared because the world is scary and maybe their friends have said something to them and they're crying and you know the, the weight of the world's on top of them and so they're sitting there they're vulnerable they're little and they're, they're in tears what do you want to do for that little boy or little girl I'm guessing you want to run up first thing you want to do is give them a big hug second thing you probably want to tell them that it's going to be okay and that you know everything will be fine Third thing is you probably want to wipe away their tears and just uh, listen and just hear what they have to say and, and try and make them feel better. Well, you are that little boy or little girl. That's still inside you. At one point in time, once upon a time, you were that little boy or little girl. You're just a little bit bigger now. So having self-compassion is treating yourself the way you would treat that little boy or girl. Don't beat yourself up. Don't be hard on yourself. Don't have these ridiculously high standards. Don't be a perfectionist. Look at yourself and... You know, give yourself a big metaphorical hug. Remind yourself that, look, everything's going to be okay. You're doing your best at all times, even when it looks like you're not. And start practicing that self-compassion. Bring that to yourself. That's the closest way we can, the easiest way, the gateway into learning to love ourselves more. Another gateway to self-love is confronting loneliness. Remember, we're talking about creating an extraordinary life. In my experience, an ordinary life. So what most people are doing is they're getting themselves into uh, codependent relationships. And codependent relationship just means you need somebody else to fill something inside of you. So you need someone to make you happy. You need someone to love you. You need someone to tell you that you're good looking or tell you that you're smart. You need someone else to fill you up. And when you're alone, when you don't have those things, you feel a tremendous sense of loneliness, like something's missing. So the ordinary thing to do is just to go and keep finding people to fill those gaps for you. But like my friend Tim Matthews from the Powerful Man group told me, he said that in codependent relationships, one plus one simply equals two. And that's all it will ever equal. But when you get into an interdependent relationship, that is two people that are full of self-love, that don't uh, need anybody to complete them. They're whole and complete, developed and loving human beings, and they come together to meet another one. Then one plus one, those two ones equal 11. It's not that one plus one suddenly equals three. It's exponential. Your relationship goes through the roof. One plus one now equals 11. And the gateway to that is not jumping into another relationship when you feel lonely, but actually confronting that loneliness and being with it have you ever been in, into a, a cabin in the woods for two days, 48 hours, two nights by yourself? Try it sometimes. Leave your phone behind, go and rent a cabin or even go camping. And cost nothing. You can go and go away for a couple of days and just spend two days away in nature by yourself. Experience the loneliness. Experience being alone. And start to fall in love with yourself and enjoy being with yourself and spending that time with yourself. That's the gateway to having an extraordinary love life and an extraordinary relationship. An exercise that uh, Steve Rome, who's a uh, 
hypnotherapist in the States taught me was that you go and grab a chair and you put yourself in front of a mirror and you stare right into your eyes in the mirror and then you start telling yourself that I love you. And then you say it again, I love you. And you sit there for as long as you need to until you feel something shift inside of you. And trust me, something shifts inside of you. There's a moment where you start to smile. There's a moment where you may break down and cry. That moment where you first feel that true sense of self-love. So that's the exercise I challenge you to do. Now, if you're in a relationship or you know, you, you've developed the sense of self-love, you've become whole and complete yourself and you want to go in a, a relationship, the next best tool that I found is the love languages. Now, if you haven't heard of this, you must have been sleeping under a rock for the last 20 years, but the love languages is one of the most transformative things in, in relationships over the last couple of decades. And the love languages are the way that people receive love. And what we often think is that people receive love the way that we receive love. And we don't understand when our partner doesn't feel loved because they don't have the same love language that we do. So there essentially are five love languages. I'm going to try and remember them now. The first one is gifts, presents, receiving gifts and presents. The second one is words of affirmation. I love you. You're amazing. I love what you do. That kind of thing. The third thing is quality time, spending quality time with somebody. And quality time doesn't necessarily mean uh, talking or deep conversation. It's just being around each other and not being distracted, being present. The fourth one is physical touch. So cuddles, sex, intimacy, touching, those kind of things. And the last one is acts of service. When you do the dishes, when you take the garbage out, when you wash my clothes for me is also a love language. And if I think back to one of my relationships, my love language uh, is acts of service. And so when somebody does something for me, boy, do I know I'm loved. It's incredibly moving. But if somebody buys me presents, I couldn't really give a shit. I, I don't like presents. I'm a minimalist. I don't enjoy having extra stuff. One of my partners, his uh, love language was quality time, but I didn't realize that. So what would happen is, you know, we would get to the weekend. We both had the weekend off and I would go and fill the weekend with a whole load of coffee dates and catching up with my friends and heading out and he would be devastated. And I didn't understand. I would think, well, man, I say I love you all the time. You know, we have a lot of sex. Like, you know, why don't you feel loved? It's because he had a different love language. His love language was quality time, and I needed to actually make scheduled time to be with him for a couple of hours so that he could experience love that way. So this is the greatest thing you'll ever understand is what's your love language, how you want to receive love, and what's your partner's love language so you know how to give them love in the best way so that they can receive it. The next thing I want to talk about is vulnerability. So I mentioned the book Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. She talks about vulnerability. And again, this is one of the biggest growths in love and connection over the last you know, five to six years. Brene says that uh, connection comes from vulnerability. And the most simplest way I can describe that to you is, remember when you first started dating and you know, there came that moment where you wanted to tell someone that you loved them and you weren't sure if they loved you. You weren't sure if they were going to say it back. And it was kind of a scary moment. And then you finally got up the courage to say, I love you. And you had to wait and see if they were going to say it back. 
Well, that was a moment of vulnerability, right? You felt incredibly vulnerable. And Brene says, you know, the word vulnerability is, uh, comes from, you know, the ability to be wounded. So when we're being vulnerable, it's giving someone the ability to wound us. So when you say, I love you, and you're waiting for that response, you could be wounded. They could say, no, I don't love you. They could pull back. They could not say anything back, and you can be wounded. But then in that moment when they say they love you, that beautiful, deeper connection occurs. So we can extrapolate that out to all of our relationships, our friendships, uh, our relationship with our parents, with our brothers and sisters, and obviously with our closest partner. The measure of how vulnerable we're being with them how open, how much we're willing to say and speak our truth really equals how much deep connection that we're getting with them. So those are some of the ways that you can develop more love and more connection for yourself and in your relationships. And the thing I'd recommend you do now is go and work out your love language, first of all. Go to five, the number five, lovelanguages.com. And you can actually do the free quiz there and it'll say exactly what your love language is. And it's a fun thing to do with you and your partner. And look, this work can be transformative. I think about one of my clients that I worked with last year who came to me and really wanted to find the love of his life. And it took something. We worked together and you know, there was a, a lot of heartache and pain in his past, things that had happened in his childhood that he wasn't even aware of. And we had to dig down and heal some of those parts of him in order that he could start to fall in love with himself. And so go back to that Rumi quote. Stop going and seeking for love outside of yourself. Start to do the healing, the deep inner work, the self-compassion, the self-love exercises so that you can first start to fall in love with yourself. That's the access to an extraordinary love life. Okay, let's move on to the next section. And next we're talking about adventure and excitement. And I believe you need to have more adventure and excitement in your day-to-day life in order for your life to be extraordinary. Ordinary is just going through the motions, not having much fun, feeling exhausted all the time, and saving up for one, maybe two holidays. Consider this quote from Tim Ferriss in The 4-Hour Workweek. He says, Excitement is the more practical synonym for happiness, and it is precisely what you should strive to chase. It is the cure-all. When people suggest you follow your passion or your bliss, I propose that they are, in fact, referring to the same singular concept, excitement. The question you should be asking isn't, what do I want or what are my goals, but what would excite me? So ask yourself that question. What would excite you? When was the last time you were really excited about the day? The book I want to recommend is a lesser known book. It's called Play It Away. And coincidentally, it's by Charlie Hohen, who is one of Tim Ferriss's right-hand men. And Charlie helped Tim launch one of his books and was working massive days trying to get this book launch going and really burned himself out and found himself exhausted and unable to work. And so he had to find a way to bring more joy and more fun and more play back to his life just so that he didn't find himself uh, repeating that cycle of burnout. So in Play It Away, he talks about ways that you can start bringing fun and play and excitement back in your day-to-day life and how it actually improves your performance. Surprise, surprise. For example, Charlie, you know, instead of doing business meetings over coffee, now he does business meetings on the basketball court. He'll invite someone down to shoot hoops with them while they're talking about business. Just fun little ideas like that. So the question I want to pose to you is, when was the last time you did something simply for the joy of doing it? Most of us are buried under the weight of to-do lists these days, all the things that we should be doing and must be doing and have to do. And so very little time is actually spent doing stuff just for the joy of it. And when I think back to my childhood, 
when my friends would ring me up, they wouldn't ring me up and say, do you want to come over for a coffee? They would say, do you want to come over and play? Is Nathan able to come and play? And we would go and we'd just go biking around the neighborhood and we'd play hockey in the back uh, car park of the the tennis club. And then we'd go to the playground and we'd sit and uh, chat and then we'd go and play some cricket. But it was all about play. We weren't trying to get anywhere. We weren't trying to uh, achieve anything. We were just having fun. We innately knew as kids that what excited us was play. But at some point as we moved into adulthood or even in high school and into university, play was discouraged. Life was serious. And we were encouraged that we need to get really serious about everything that's going on and get serious about our lives and stop messing around and stop playing and start working because that apparently was the answer. So I think it's bullshit. I think play and fun and excitement should be something that every adult does as much as they did when they were kids. And the question they often think of is, you know, people are always so busy working. And I always say, well, why are you working? Do you know why you even go to work? And 80%, I read a stat that said 80% of people can't answer the question, why do you work? And most give an arbitrary answer like, well, everybody has to work or I need to pay the bills or I'm saving for retirement, which if you go a little bit deeper, all horrible reasons to work. (laughs) Uh, If you're saving all your fun and excitement for this time off in the future when you turn 60 or 65, whatever it is, and that's when you're going to have all your fun and excitement, well, you're wasting your time. One, because you realize when you talk to most retirees that after six months of doing all the fun things and going on nice holidays, it's kind of boring and they have to find other things to entertain themselves. So don't wait till you're 65 to find out that, you know, that's not the answer. You have to find ways to start living your excitement and your fun and your joy and your play right now. Start incorporating it into your life now, not waiting for this time, hoping that that's the answer. If we look at most people now, their energy is at all-time lows. Everybody's tired all the time. Everybody's exhausted. Everybody's fatigued. Nobody's got energy. And I propose a big reason is because we do so many things that drain our energy and we forget to add things that give us energy, i.e. the things that excite us. It's also good for business. You know, doing things that are fun and excitement and playful are great for business. Steve Chandler writes in Wealth Warrior, the play is the answer. And he gives the example of when he went into work in a corporate client of his and they were trying to solve a big problem in the business that no one had come up with a solution for yet. And what he decided to do was to split the team into two groups. One went to one office and one went to another office. He went into the first office and he said, look, this is a serious problem. The company's been trying to solve it for months. Nobody's come up with an answer. You need to knuckle down, get serious and come up with an answer to this issue. He got the other group of people in the room and he said, look, guys, you know, don't stress about this. Go and have some fun. Be playful, come up with the stupidest ideas. There'll be a prize for the silliest idea you can come up with to solve this problem. But number one is just to enjoy yourselves and have fun. You can see where this is going. He came back and, you know, they came up with some good ideas in the first group. And, you know, but it was nothing revolutionary. It was the same ideas that they'd been tossing around. And then he went into the playful group. And there was all sorts of crazy stuff on there. Some of the stuff was explicit and ridiculous, and that was naturally going to be the case. But one of the ideas that initially looked silly, actually, when they dug into it, started to become a realistic option and actually ended up becoming the solution to this company's problem. So through play and silliness and fun, it actually stimulates our creativity. In the book Essentialism, which you know I love, uh, he interviews Stuart Brown, who is a 
scientist that's an expert in studying these things, especially, you know, how play influences the brain. And he said, play leads to brain plasticity, adaptability, and creativity. Nothing fires up the brain more than play. So getting playful and getting exciting is a great way to stimulate creativity and actually come up with more solutions and more ideas and yeah, just be more creative. So one way to sort of follow excitement is to think about what scares you a little bit. Think about that dream or that goal or that bucket list item that you've been thinking about that actually gives you a bit of fear. Is it leaving your job? Is it skydiving? Is it uh, starting to do your own podcast, for example? Um, and a lot of those things ugh, give us fear. And a quote that I love out of the book, The Big Leap, he says, fear is excitement without the breath. So fear and excitement are very close cousins of each other. It's just that when we feel fear, we forget to breathe. We're all <gasps> nervous and fearful. But when we can breathe through the fear, that's when it becomes excitement. So think about it. What do you want to do? How do you want to have more adventure and excitement in your life? One way to do it is write your bucket list. Go down and write the top 50 things that you want to do before you die. The first 10 or 15 will come really easily, and then you're going to have to dive a little deeper and think, man, what are the other 35 things I want to do? And start doing research, go on the internet, look up articles, what are the most exciting things that humans can do on earth? And start to really cultivate this idea of bringing more adventure, excitement, and play to our everyday life. Tony Robbins says we have six needs as humans, and I won't go through all of them, but he said we have a need for certainty. We want to know that we can feed ourselves. We want to know that when we go home at night, the power's going to be on, there's going to be Wi-Fi. So we like certainty and we need to have certainty in our lives. But lesser known is we actually need uncertainty. Just think about it. Like, why do we watch movies? Because we don't know how it's going to end. And we watch a movie and it's exciting and we like that feeling of not knowing how it's going to finish. So we actually have a need for uncertainty in our lives as well, which a lot of people don't cultivate this. They don't say something spontaneous with their partner or with their kids where they say, hey, kids, let's pile in the car. We're going to just disappear and head off into the distance and we're going to go on a weekend trip and just see where we end up. Actually cultivating uncertainty. So that's a way that you can bring more excitement into your life. One of the ways we do it in my business is I have a mastermind group that people can join and my one-on-one -on -one clients can join and we meet all around the world throughout the year. So entrepreneurs especially are busy people. They have a lot going on and they don't have time to organize travel. So what I do is I organize these one-week adventures in different countries and all the people that work with me can come along, meet like-minded entrepreneurs and coaches, have a bunch of fun, do some adventures. And also we do a little bit of personal growth and development work while we're going. So it's a fun way that I think that we can stay on purpose and on mission and work on our business while bringing more adventure and excitement. Okay, finally, the last element I want to introduce to you is inner peace. And it's an overused phrase, but it's really important to me. And I think inner peace is the thing that wraps everything else together. If you focus on getting the business and mission and being on purpose and developing deeper love and connection with the people around you and then focusing on more adventure and excitement and play in your life, then your inner peace and your sense of fulfillment is going to go up markedly. But I wanted to touch on a few things that you can do, some low-hanging fruit to help you enjoy your experience of life more. The quote I want to give you comes from The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, and he says, your inner growth is completely dependent 
on the realization that the only way to find peace and contentment is to stop thinking about yourself. (laughs) I think it's a very cool quote, and I'll come back to some of those elements. Two books I want to recommend. One is the other book by Michael Singer called The Surrender Experiment. It's just a beautiful example of how to live life in a more spiritual way, how to surrender to what life offers you and just stop fighting everything, stop trying to control everything. And if we can just open up and surrender to what the world is giving us, we can find a lot more joy and peace in our lives. And the second book is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Timeless book, absolute bestseller. If you don't know it, Viktor Frankl was a prisoner of war in a German prisoner camp in World War II. And it's really, you know, about trying to find meaning even in the darkest, darkest of times. And Viktor Frankl managed to find meaning and inner peace in arguably one of the most horrendous situations in history. And so it gives you uh, hope that you may be able to find inner peace in your life. A tremendous book and one that will cultivate a deep sense of gratitude for your own life. The question I want to ask you is, and I'm not being facetious when I say this, but when will you be happy? When will you actually be happy? Because Kyle Cease, who's a a comedian turned, uh, you know, transformational comedian, He says that the biggest disease that we have in our society is the disease of I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I just find that right partner. I'll be happy when I'm earning a million dollars. I'll be happy when I get on my next vacation. And so we always have this delayed sense of happiness instead of really realizing that the only time to be happy is right now in this moment. And that happiness and fulfillment is an art and a practice that we can cultivate in any moment. It doesn't take much to look around and see that success is not necessarily the answer. As I record this, over the last year, we've lost a couple of famous singers to suicide, which is absolutely tragic. It breaks my heart that those people get to that point. But they have some of the most successful lives, the ones that we are all supposedly meant to cover. Fame, wealth, anything you could ask for, universally loved, and yet they are deeply, deeply troubled in their lives. They have the opposite of inner peace. So if more success was just the answer, then all of these people would be the happiest people on the planet. You just need to find success and you'll be happy. But clearly that's not the case. So something is wrong with our model. You know, Tony Robbins says that success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. So only focusing on success while ignoring inner peace and fulfillment is the ultimate failure. He also says that success is a science Well, fulfillment is an art. Success is something that we can look at those that have gone before us and we can practice the, you know, just like some of the stuff I've taught you, follow some of these steps, do some of these things, and they're known scientifically to take you closer towards success. Whereas fulfillment and inner peace is something that's a bit more of an art. We have to get more of a sense of our own inner peace. We have to look deep inside ourselves to find those things. And that's the work that not a lot of people are willing to do. The ordinary life is to just not examine your life and not find inner peace. Just go through the motions. You know, when people ask you how you are, you say, well, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I'm okay. That's ordinary. But we want to live an extraordinary life where we go, you know, I'm filled up. I'm filled to the brim. I feel amazing. I feel joy. I feel grateful. I feel on purpose. And out of that, have a deep sense of inner peace. And Inner peace really allows you to enjoy your success. So we've talked a lot about these other areas of life and mastering them. Working on your inner peace and your inner growth actually allows you to enjoy 
and be content and fulfilled with the success that naturally you're going to create. There's a famous story uh, about Einstein that when he was staying in a hotel in Tokyo, I was just reading the other day, and he, he didn't have a tip to give the bellboy at the hotel. And so instead, he wrote down his formula for happiness on a one of the hotel no, uh, napkins, serviettes. And I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of the formula for happiness is that a content and happy life will bring much more happiness than a life of constant striving towards success. So you're starting to hear the theme here, right? Like it's not all about success and striving. It's about slowing down, living a simple life. And how do we do that? Well, the first thing is that I will say, I'm going to look at the past, the present, and the future. You know, the past is for everybody, almost everybody I meet, there's some healing that needs to be done in the past. Uh, a quote that I love is that nobody gets out of childhood unscathed. So most people have had a childhood, 100% of people, I would suggest. And there's some things that come out of childhood that we need to deal with in order to find inner peace through therapy or coaching or different healing modalities that you can research on your own. We have to come to terms with some of the things that went on in our childhood. They may only be small things, but that have had a lasting impact for us divorce, breakups, you know, even your first breakup when you were 16, 17, 18 can have a lasting effect. And these are things that, you know, in order to find inner peace, we need to confront and we need to get healed so that we can enjoy the present moment, which is my next point. You know, life always occurs in the present moment. And this is something that's often skipped over by people that don't examine their life. The future doesn't exist. The past doesn't exist. It's already gone. All we ever have is this present moment. And it's kind of an overused phrase. But right now is the the future that you're striving for, it's going to look like more of now. It's going to look like you in it experiencing just as you are now. So if you want to have a better future and you want to feel better and more peaceful in the future, you have to find a way to enjoy and find fulfillment and peace this moment, this present moment, and then repeat it. And the secret to finding joy, some of the things I do to enjoy the present moment is slow myself down and look around, breathe, and consciously just take in, wow, this is an incredible moment right now. My heart's beating, I'm alive, I'm healthy, and this experience of life is extraordinary. I'm so grateful. So taking moments once, twice, three times throughout the day just to stop and actually find joy and find gratitude for this present moment, there's a guaranteed way to find success and uh, inner peace. And the third thing is the future. A lot of people are anxious about the future, anxious about will they be successful, anxious about will I reach my full potential, anxious about will I be able to pay the bills next week. And Again, realizing that any time you step out into the future, you're robbing yourself of all the joy of this present moment. You have to find a way to let go of that anxiety because the future doesn't exist. I know that right now in this moment, you don't have any problems. You're breathing, you're alive, you're sitting here listening to this podcast. So there's no problems right now. The only problems are the ones that you're going to create in your mind through thoughts. But it's unlikely that you have any problem right in this very moment. And I I couldn't talk about inner peace without talking about spirituality, which has been incredibly important in my life. And to me, I just look at spirituality as not about God or religion or anything like that, but more about 
the fact that we're a part of something bigger, what I call the universe. We're, we're a part of the universe and the universe is all around us. And what's always been empowering to me is believing that the universe is on my side. So it's not just up to me to create life. I'm not out there just, you know, at war with the world. It's me co-creating this experience with the universe. And it's been so empowering. It doesn't matter if that's true or factually true. I don't really care. Is it empowering for me? And it really is. And whenever I believe that and whenever I stay in tune with the universe, things just seem to happen for me. And the way I look at life is that the universe is always trying to give me what I need in order for my highest inner growth. So we can talk about what we want externally. I want a new car. I want a better job. I want to earn more money. The universe has no interest in that. The universe only has interest in growing you to your highest potential. So anytime I face something like a challenge or anytime I'm struggling or something bad's happened to me and I'm hurting, I look at that and I go, oh, thank you, universe. Like this is an opportunity for me to grow internally. So it takes away the suffering. It takes away that that things are happening to me because, you know, poor me, things are happening and it really hurts. I look at everything, no matter what happens to me, good, bad, I go, wow, this is what the universe is providing me in order to grow into this vision that I've created for my life. And that really, really empowers me to, you know, go through my life peacefully because I know it's not just me on my own. So there you have it, folks. Those are the four elements that I believe you need to live an extraordinary life. Create uh, the foundations that you need, first of all, to live an extraordinary life. Focus on a business, a mission and purpose that's going to pull you forward and get you jumping out of bed in the morning. Look to deepen the love and connection with the people closest to you. Find ways to get more playful and adventurous and find more excitement. Follow your excitement in your day-to-day life. And then wrap it all up in a deep sense of inner peace. Do the work you need to do to find contentment and fulfillment because success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate there's a lot of information, but I thought, well... You know, what better way to celebrate my 50th episode than just give you all of the information that I've learned uh, over my lifetime and all the things that have completely changed my life and allowed my life to be extraordinary. And I am not a master at any of this by any stretch. So I'm working on this every day. I have up days, I have down days, I have days where I'm nailing it. And I have days where I think, man, I really, uh, I wasn't my highest self today. So I'm on this journey as much as you are. And that's a point I want to keep making to you is maybe I'm a few steps ahead of you on the journey, but I'm still on this journey every day. I wake up and think, man, how can I be more extraordinary today? And how can I enjoy and be grateful for this day more and make a difference? And my invitation to you is come and join me. If you've listened this far, I am assuming you're the type of person that wants to live an extraordinary life. And there's a couple of opportunities where you can come on this journey with me. One, you can just continue listening to this podcast, follow me on Facebook and just, you know, consume my content, watch my videos and just enjoy the interviews I have with people. There's no problem at all. Second thing you can do is go to my website, nathanseward.com and right on the homepage, you can join our community. So just sign up with your name and email. You're going to get uh, a whole load of free stuff there and just be a part of our community. You'll go in our Facebook group, which is the Extraordinary Life Facebook group, and you'll be interacting with a whole load of awesome people in there. We'll have a monthly group call that you can be a part of. And also, you can come on one of my four adventures that I run around the world all throughout the year. And 
It's an extraordinary life adventure. I believe in adventure and excitement, and that's your opportunity to come and join like-minded people and have fun, do a bit of uh, adventuring, but also have some personal growth. And the third thing is really to work with me one-on-one. So everybody knows the fastest way to success is to work one-on-one with somebody that's done it already. So you've just heard all the stuff that I've learned. Uh, It's a whole other thing to put that into practice in your own life. It's quite hard to do it after just listening to a podcast. But if you want to join me on the journey one-on-one, we can have conversations every week and we can dive into this stuff and help you pull out a business and purpose and mission that pulls you forward. We can help you deepen your love and connection with your partner, your parents, your children, and those closest to you. We can help find ways to bring more adventure and excitement, like coming on these trips with me. And of course, always focused on deepening your sense of spirituality and inner peace. So if that's something that interests you, reach out to me on Facebook, drop me an email, nathan at nathanseward.com, and let's have a conversation. Uh, Let's just connect and uh, you can tell me all about your extraordinary life and I'll see if I can support you in any way. Guys, thank you so much. Again, I can't tell you how much I'm grateful for you for supporting this podcast. Please, if you think someone would enjoy this episode in particular, because there's a lot of cool stuff in here, share it around with your friends, uh, give it to someone as a gift and say, hey, you know, here's a free show with a whole load of cool information. This is my gift to you. And share it around on Facebook if you can. And as always, I will love you guys forever. So thank you. Here's to another 50 episodes and I'll see you next week for episode 51 of the Nathan Seawood Show. That was the Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. This episode has been brought to you by my friends at Unsettled. Unsettled is a 30-day co-working retreat experience for entrepreneurs, creatives, freelancers, and folks going through intentional transitions. They have incredible retreats all around the world, Portugal, Bali, Colombia, Nicaragua, just to name a few. I did Medellin in Colombia last year, blew my mind. A great bunch of people there, lots of really cool local experiences, beautiful office to work from, a lovely apartment. They organize it all, guys. So go to beunsettled.co slash Nathan, and I'm going to get $100 off your first trip. So do yourself a favor, check out beunsettled.co slash Nathan, and prepare for one of the best months of your life.